And today I'd like to start by asking a, a question. What thing, if you lost it, what thing in your life, if you lost it, would make you lose your will to live? That's a pretty tough question. I mean, that's a philosophical moment. But think about your life, and if you lost it, maybe you would lose hope, or life would be meaningless without it if you lost that. And when you go home today, I encourage you to think about your, your nightmares. And by nightmares, I mean maybe not like scary, ah, I'm falling off the cliff, or I'm running, and I can't get traction, I keep falling, you know, those terrible dreams. But what is it that wakes you up at night, that causes you to worry? What are those things in our life? And I imagine if we had a counseling session, and we brought out a couch, and you laid down on the couch, because... Do that. I've been to counseling. I've never had to lay down on a couch, but anybody been to counseling? Is that, that's just TV. I don't know. Um, but if, if we did that, I imagine that if we peeled back some layers of our heart to, to the deep, like why that is that we worry that we're going to lose that, that thing, we would find that there is an idol there, something that we have made ultimate, something that we have put in, in God's place. And you're thinking, idol, I don't, I don't have any shrines in my house, Matthew. I'm not burning incense. I'm not rubbing Buddha's belly. Uh, I'm like, I, I don't have idols. Well, that's one way to think about idols, right? The actual golden calf. But another way, there's an author and he, in a book called The Idol Factory. This is what he says. He says, A careful reading of the Old and New Testament show that idolatry is nothing like the crude, simplistic picture that springs to mind of an idol uh, sculpture in some distant country. Idols are not just on pagan altars, but in well-educated human hearts and minds. The Apostle Paul associates the, the dynamics of human greed, lust, craving, and coveting with idolatry. And the Bible does not allow us to marginalize idolatry to the fringes of life. It is found on center stage. But we don't often think about idols and idolatry. But an idol is anything more fundamental than God to your joy, your meaning in life, or your identity. That's when we talk about an idol and idolatry. That's, that's what it is. Anything in your life that is more fundamental than God to your joy, meaning in life, or identity. If we wanted to put it in psychological terms, an idol is anything that you get your identity from. Anything you get your identity from. And, and for a few moments, we're, we're keeping it a bit philosophical, a little bit in the clouds. In a moment, we're going to come, come home with some practical stuff. So just stick with me, all right? Uh, in theological terms, an idol is anything you're turning to for your righteousness. Like, what are you looking to to give yourself credit, to pat yourself on the back, to say, I'm all right, I'm okay. Idolatry, it's an inordinate desire for something, even good things. And most of the time, an idol uh, comes from good things in our life that we make supreme things. So it's the good things that we make good things that we often put on a, a pedestal in our lives. So it's our career family, achievement, a good political cause, fighting even against injustice, romance, human approval, financial security, anything that if it were to be removed from your life would cause you to, to lose hope, would cause you not to, and it sounds extreme to not want to go on with your life. I mean, that's the, the end game, but, uh, but that is your actual deity, that thing that you are putting your, your hope and your confidence in, the thing that we've made ultimate. I'll give you just one example. Let's say that you're engaged, engaged to be married. And um, in, in a relationship, if it's a good relationship, it's going to add meaning to your life. That's, that's what relationships do, and especially in, um, in an engagement, you're headed towards marriage and things are good, then for some reason, things go bad. 
and it's called off. It's, it's a breakup. And it's going to be hard because it was a good, if it was a good thing, right, it's hard to lose those things. And, it's, and we, we mourn. And, but it, if it's an ultimate thing, if that person was like the reason you got up in the morning, it may, that may not be the words that we use. But like you look, I mean, they were it in your life. And if you lose that relationship, it crushes you. Like there is a difference between hurt when something goes wrong and something just absolutely taking away your hope and just putting its arm on you. That is what we're talking about when we talk about idolatry. And uh, one, another simple example, money. Money can definitely be an idol for the rich and the poor. So whether you, whatever your bank account looks like, or you're like, I just wish I had a bank account, right? <laughs> money can be that object that we desire, but a lot of times it's not money that's the idol, but what the money can bring us. It's the security behind money. And so there's some people that, that want money, but they don't spend it because it's their security, and so they hold on to it tight. On the other hand, there's other people that desire money, and money's not bad, okay? We need money. That's just the way the, our society works. But if it, it becomes an inordinate desire, an idol, on the other hand, we could want money because we want to fit in with the crowd. We want to look good, and, and those folks... Uh, it looks a little different because they're spending their money, right, to fit in. And so that idol of money looks, looks different. Um, and we can go down the list, and, and I actually will have a list in a moment uh, that, that we'll go through. But we're talking about big things, but idols can be small things as well. Small things in our, uh, that just set us off if things don't go right. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Romans chapter 1. It's page 782 on the, the hardback Bible that's on your chair, page 782, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And this is the, the classic passage on idolatry. Uh, this, Paul is, is one of the apostles, one of the followers of Jesus. He writes this, this passage. And uh, basically, what he shows in these scriptures, in these verses, is that all the breakdowns in life, whether social, spiritual, psychological, or cultural, all come because we've worshipped and served created things, idols, rather than our creator. So Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The wrath of God, uh-oh, that's a tough way to start, is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images idols, made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, to the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things. There it is, idols again. Rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. The problem is we want to control our lives. 
we want to be in control of our destiny, and so we create idols. And in these verses, just a couple things to, to note here. In verse 21, it says that we don't worship God as we ought to. That means we don't put him up where he belongs as the, the supreme place in our lives, and we don't treat him uh, as central to who he really is. That's verse 21. It also says we don't give thanks, and so we fail to act towards our creator. Like, thank you. All I have is from you. And so we don't, we don't thank God. And then in verse 18, it says we suppress these things because we want to be our own masters. Like, we don't want anyone to have a claim on us. Because as soon as, as soon as we do elevate God, God can tell us what to do, right? Because he's God, and, and we don't want that. We don't want that. Um, and especially as Americans, like, we don't want anybody telling us what to do. Like, we enjoy our freedoms. I'm thankful I live in America where we have some freedoms, but... Uh, we have this idea like, you, you can't tell me what to do. And I think we do that with God sometimes. And so we just, maybe we don't have God up here, we bring him down just a little bit. And then he doesn't have that authority in our lives. But the problem is, and what this verse is saying, is that we can't simply say no to God and then go on our own way. Something else takes God's place if we don't worship God. Uh, because we will always build our lives on something of ultimate value, even if we claim no God. We were created to worship, and if we don't worship God, something is going to fill that place. It, uh, I feel like I, should, you could, I could even write a song about this and, and say, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. I just made that up. No, I didn't. Uh, Bob Dylan, all right. Um, but that song is, is true. You're going to have to serve somebody. And you're like, Matthew, I, I am not like, like if, if you find I don't believe in God, it's not like I'm going someplace else, singing songs, worshiping this God. It's more subtle than that, okay? It's not like this outright bowing down type worship. It just means that, the, well, we're going to get there. Uh, all right, verse, verse 25. So there's a couple things that these desires for other things besides God, what they do to us. In verse 25, it says they traded the truth for a lie. And so this passage, and this isn't always what we like to hear, but it says that we are deceived, basically. We are deceived, and we think that something besides God can give us ultimate significance and, and joy is really what, what we think. And, um, and so we, we believe false things. Like, if I can just achieve such and such, I'll be happy. Like, life will be good if I can just get here. Or the negative of that is because I can't achieve that, I will never be happy. Like, you see how, how that works. We're, we're deceived. And, and this deception runs deep. Verse 21 says they, their thinking became futile. So even it's an intellectual confusion. And also their hearts were darkened. It's an emotional confusion. And so we're deceived, but we're also enslaved. Think about this. Verse 21. Sorry, verse 24 keep up, <laughs> right? Uh, God gave them over. It says, eventually our desires, they overwhelm us. And the next verse says, they worshiped and served created things rather than their creator. And we eventually come to serve and obey our idols. And they become our, our master in a very real sense. It controls us because if we don't have it, we're not happy. And if something can control our happiness, then it has mastery over us. Does that make, does that make sense? Jeremiah 2, 25, God is speaking, but he's speaking on behalf of the people. 
And he says, it's no use. I love foreign gods. I must go after them. Like We, we can't help ourselves but go after those type of things. Uh, John Calvin was a great theologian 400 years ago, and he said that we are perpetual idol factories. Like the human heart, we are just always making up idols, things to, to serve. Um, um, so just a little closer to home, a couple ways that this works out. Work and career. Work, God has commanded us to work. I don't know if you knew that or not. But work is a command of God. But sometimes we make work ultimate. We, we make achievement ultimate, uh, pro- productivity. And if you have a hard time sitting down and relaxing, then you might be getting your significance from how much you've accomplished that day. Does that, does that make sense? Um, or if someone tells you how busy they were that week, and you're like, oh, that was good. But this is how busy I was. You know what I'm talking about? Like Americans, we love to be busy. I, I, love, I mean, I feel like I'm busy. And I, and I get a little bit of uh, gratification thinking how busy I am. That somehow makes me better than somebody else. That's an, an idol. Work and career can become an idol. How about beauty and image? If, if I mean, this is everywhere, right? Um, if we're spending excessive time and effort on our appearance and if false intimacy through things like pornography, like, that's become an idol. Beauty and, and image. Family. This is where the rubber meets the road for a lot of us. Where if our, our children, like how our children are doing, like if they're doing well, I feel good about myself. Right? And so that's where I'm getting my identity from in that moment. If my, my children aren't doing well, well, sometimes I'm like, uh. So occasionally this happens every day as a parent. So yesterday, uh, young Britt, Britt's seven, he plays uh, soccer with seven and eight-year-olds, so he's one of the smaller guys out there. But he's got a, a fierce haircut. I don't know if you've noticed. I don't even know what to call that thing anymore. It was a tail. It's kind of a mullet. Uh, it's alive. It has its own... <laughs> It's, own, it's like his own pet. How many pets is there? So he looks fierce. Uh, so the game yesterday, and I'm, I'm the, the coach. I enjoy coaching my kids in their sports while I can. And, and so all the kids on the other team are, I don't know, I think they were sneaking some nine-year-olds down there because they were, they were big and uh, like kicking from midfield into the goal. I'm like, what is happening? But so run around, and Britt scores the first goal of the game. So I'm like, I'm a proud dad, you know? And then... The other team throughout the game scores the next three goals. So now we're down uh, three, one to three, and there's only four minutes left in the game. We play for 32 minutes. So for 28 minutes, we are down three to one. And then Britt, he just goes crazy. He scores the two goals in the last four minutes, and I'm, then I'm like, oh, yeah, that's my boy. You know what I'm saying? And then, and then after the game, even better than the game are the snacks after the game. Because like, someone's bringing a snack and it's going to be good. Something my boys don't normally get, like Gatorade. You know, they're deprived. And so there was Gatorade yesterday, and there's different flavors of Gatorade. Britt did not get his favorite color of Gatorade. And in that moment of his despair and angst, and just, I mean, he just has his emotions right, right here on the sleeve. His whole body... I changed my tune. I'm like, who, who's kid? Like, who's, someone get a hold of their kid over there. And I kind of, like, that is not, because in that moment, the family idol, like, it's crushing me. 
right? He's not living up to my standards, making me look bad as a parent. Am I the only parent who's ever felt this way? About the family can become an idol. Meeting your parents' expectations becomes the most important thing, or getting married and having the perfect marriage. <laughs> I'm sorry if that's you. The idea, perfect, not marriage. Marriage is good. Um, but this, this idea that we're pursuing, or even, even romance, and the idea of just falling in love is your, I mean, your pursuit, and once I'm in love, then everything will be good. Idol. Our hearts, we are perpetual idol factories. We've already talked about money. And these are the created things. So in verse 25, it talks about creative things. And when we read that, I think we normally think of like golden calf. But these are all created things that we put in God's place. And so how, so how about you? What is your ultimate desire? And we're about to do just a bit of heart surgery for a moment. Heart surgery is not pleasant, but it helps us live. Um, so Jeff, if you could help me pass those out. Alvin, I've got some... This sermon series is also our handout notes sermon series. We don't always do this, but so we're going to come around with a couple of things we're going to look at together for our remaining time. Because this is like deep heart issue kind of stuff. And unless you take the time to stop and to think about these areas, they'll just always be an issue for us. And so on the, as you're getting the handout, we're going to roll through this. And I did not uh, create this list. I got this from a, a study I did a few years ago. But so the, at the top, it says, life only has meaning or I only have worth. So this is kind of like what we are looking to for our identity. Um, I only have worth if I have power and influence over others. So that's a power idolatry. I only have worth if I'm loved and respected by, fill in, the, fill in the blank, approval, idolatry. I only have worth if I have this kind of pleasure experience or I have a particular quality of life, so like a comfort idolatry. And, um, or this could almost be like a recreation idolatry. Elora and I used to live in Summit County in Breckenridge. And people's worth, for a lot of people, well, for a good number of people, was how many days of skiing they got in a year. Like, that's what everybody bragged in, like, hey, bro, how many days on the mountain? Oh, not too many this year, 130. <laughs> you know, oh, it's too bad, you know. Bro, bro. They say bro a lot. No. Um, but recreation, like even, even the, being able to, to brag about how much recreation can become an idol. Uh, people are dependent on me and, and need me. It's like a helping idolatry. Or someone is there to protect me and keep me safe. So the opposite, like I am dependent on somebody. I'm completely free from obligations or responsibilities to take care of someone. Independence idolatry. I only have worth if I'm highly productive and getting a lot done. Work idolatry. I'm being recognized for my accomplishments. I'm excelling in my work, achievement. So you can see down down the list we go. I'm adhering to my religion's moral codes. Even our religion can become idolatry. 
My race and culture is ascendant and recognized as superior, a racial or cultural idolatry. A particular social grouping or professional grouping or other group lets me in, like inter- I made it, now, now I've arrived. My children or my parents are happy and happy with me, family idolatry. Mr. or Mrs. Wright is in love with me, relationship idolatry. I am hurting and a problem, only then do I feel worthy of love or able to deal with guilt, suffering idolatry. My political or social causes making progress and ascending in influence and power, ideology, idolatry. Man, we see that one. Like if, you're, if your political team is winning, like the world is good. If you're losing, uh, it's the apocalypse. Like it is just pushing down on us. Uh, I have a particular kind of look or body image, image, idolatry. So we have this list, and I, would want, I gave you this handout because I want you to take it home to think about it, to think about it in your own life. And, and how do you know which idol is your problem? Because a lot of times, this, this is like deep heart-level stuff, and so there's a, an outward action that is actually present to everybody. But there's a deeper issue. So just for example, in the bottom there, a couple ways this works out. So if, if your idolatry is power, success, winning, influence in life, your greatest nightmare or fear is being humiliated. People around you feel used, and your problem emotion is anger. If you seek approval, like you just want people to like you, which it's okay to want people to like you, okay? So, so these things in themselves are not the idol. It's when it becomes inordinate in our, in our hearts. Uh, but approval, your greatest nightmare, rejection, failure, and people around you can feel smothered, and your problem emotion is cowardice. So you can see how it works, comfort, control, um, Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said the, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, is first because all the other commandments are based on it. He says you never break one of the other commandments until you have first broken the first commandment. Um, and if you continue to read in Romans, so Romans chapter 1, verse, verse 29, we're just going to skip a couple verses. It says they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity, They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Mm. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And it all started, like all this outworking badness started because they had misplaced desires in their heart for something other than God. And it led to all these other things, all these outward workings. And um, so just, for example, the ninth commandment. What is it? Don't lie. No, it's, it's don't lie. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> just messing with you there. It's all right. Uh, I wouldn't have got it either. But why, why do we lie? Well, because I'm a sinner, Matthew. Yes, I won't argue with you on that one. But why do you lie in this particular scenario and not this particular scenario? Think about the last time you lied. Whether it's a small lie or a, a big lie. Um, what, and the reason we lie is because some, underneath the lie, there's something that we're trying to get that's more important in that moment than Jesus Christ in our lives. And, and what I mean is we lie because we're looking for that approval 
or we lie because we're looking for comfort, or, or we lie because we're trying to maintain our power or our influence over somebody. And so the lie, while is breaking a commandment, is also breaking the first commandment because we've made, in that moment, we have made something else, uh, like tied it to our identity. And so we lie. There's an outward uh, working of the idolatry in the depths of our hearts. So why do we lie? Why do we fail to love or break our promises or live selfishly? Yes, we are weak, we are sinful, but it's because there is something in that moment that we're looking to other than Jesus to give us joy. This is a bit heavy today, right? Like, no one wants to, yes, Matthew, I'm, a, I'm a, an idolater. <laughs> I confess to that, I am. Uh, but I'm right along with you. I am an idolater because there are moments when instead of looking to Jesus for my identity, I, I look to something else and it leads me to selfishness or putting myself over somebody else or getting my, my identity from my children. And in that moment, we are all idolaters. That is, that is the bad news. And under every behavioral sin is the sin of idolatry. And under every act of idolatry is a disbelief in the gospel. Is a disbelief in the gospel. And at the root of all sin is the failure to take the gospel into the deepest reaches of our heart. But the good news, the good news is that the gospel changes everything and that there is grace for us. And, and as we're going to move to a time of communion in just a moment, I just wanted to encourage you that when we be, you begin to look at these deep things in your heart and we try to change our character, like form a new habit of character. I'm not talking like a habit of drinking, you know, 60 ounces of water a day. But like those, those habits of, of character that actually change the way we, we treat people, to change the way um, we treat ourselves. Um, those habits, it's like the, the song we sang, the empty me. Like we can't just push out like, ah, oh, I don't want to be an idolater anymore because something else will take its place. And so only when our affections are turned towards Jesus can he come in and begin to push out the idols that we've built up in our hearts. And so whether, whether you have served Jesus for 40 years or for four days, our hearts, they like to build up idols. And so we keep coming back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And some people think, well, when I come to Jesus, now I'm moving on to other things and deeper theology. But when we come to Jesus, we take the gospel and the good news with us on this journey. We keep coming back to the cross and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. You are the only one who can rid me of my idolatry.